This will be our fourth and final sermon in our series, Relationship Reset. We've been talking about relationships and getting those online in a way that pleases the Lord. And so verse 9 down through verse 18, I'll begin in verse 9. We'll, be, we'll read together in verse 10 and then follow that pattern down through verse number 18. The Bible says, He that covereth a transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth a matter separateth very friends. Together, verse 10, A reproof entereth more into a wise man than an hundred stripes into a fool. An evil man seeketh only rebellion. Therefore, a cruel messenger shall be sent against him. Let a bear robbed of her whelps meet a man rather than a fool in his folly. Whoso rewardeth evil for good, evil shall not depart from his house. The beginning of strife is as when one letteth out water. Therefore, leave off contention before it be meddled with. He that justifieth the wicked, and he that condemneth the just, even they both are abomination to the Lord." Wherefore is there a price in the hand of a fool to get wisdom, seeing he hath no heart to it? A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A man void of understanding striketh hands, and becometh surety in the presence of his friend. Well, we're going to look at this idea of friendships today. We've talked about principles that guide or should lead our Marriage, our parenting, today we're going to talk about principles of friendship. Principles of friendship. And so, how to have friendships that please the Lord. Now, you may, be, uh, have, you may attend this church regularly and think, well, the sermon on marriage didn't apply to me, or the sermon on parenting didn't apply to me. This one's going to get us all. Amen? I hope everyone here has at least one friend. Some of you, I wonder about you. I hope everyone here has at least one friend. And uh, the uh, sermon today will uh, help all of us to look at our friendships and evaluate them. For some of us, we need to hit the reset button on our friendships. Let's see what the Bible has to say about that this morning. Let's pray. Lord, help us today as we endeavor to dissect and understand Proverbs 17. And Lord, other passages of the Bible that talk about friendship. Jesus, we're thankful that you desire to be a friend to us. And Lord, you are the model friend. There's no one who's a better friend to us than you. Thank you for loving us in spite of us. Thank you for being faithful and committed to us. Thank you for being a a God whose character is impeccable. Thank you for being a God who knows exactly how to confront us and handle us when we do wrong. Thank you that you never fail us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. So Lord, as we look at these principles today, these truths, may we all be encouraged to go uh, from here and be better friends to those you've put in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, life without good friends may be less complicated, but it, it sure can be quite dull. Friends are easy to come by when life is easy, but true friends stand by your side even when life gets tough. Jackie Robinson was the first black up to play Major League Baseball. Breaking baseball's color barrier, he faced jeering crowds in every stadium where he'd play. While playing one day in his home stadium in Brooklyn, he committed an error while in the field. The fans there began to ridicule him. He stood at second base, humiliated, while the fans jeered. Then, shortstop Pee Wee Reese, a white man, came over and stood next to him. He put his arm around Jackie, and the two of them faced the crowd together. After a while, after a long while, the fans grew quiet. Robinson later said that arm around his shoulder meant the world to him. That arm around his shoulder from Pee Wee saved his career. There's nothing like a good friend who sticks sticks with us when times get tough. The two greatest commandments in the Bible are what? Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, not every one of your neighbor, not every one of your neighbors is going to be your friend. But listen up now, every single friend you have is your neighbor. Every single friend you have is your neighbor. Um, So we're to love our neighbor. We're to love our 
friends. Someone once wisely said, with these two truths in mind, love God and love your neighbor. Someone once said, life is all about relationships. If my relationship with God is good, then guess what? My spiritual life is good. If my relationship with God is not so good, then my spiritual life stinks. If my relationship with my friends is good, then my social life is good. If my relationship with my friends is not so good, then my social life uh, may stink. I want to ask all of you a question this morning, and I hope that by the time the sermon's over, you'll be able to better answer this question. Here's the question. Are you a good friend? Are you a good friend? Would your friends, if they were injected with truth serum, would your friends look at you and say, that guy is a good friend? That girl is a good friend? Or would they say, well... You know, they're a good good friend when they need something from me, but when things have been tough on me, yeah, they've been kind of hard to get hold of. They've been hard to work with. Well, they're a good friend most of the time, but sometimes they can be quite moody, and they get in one of these mood swings, and boy, I'm afraid to talk to them. I'm afraid to interact with them. I'm afraid to work with them. I'm afraid to have anything to do with them. In a survey of more than 40,000 Americans, these Americans said that uh, there were three traits in a friend that meant the most to them. Number one, the ability to keep confidences. Don't you hate when you tell your friend a confidence only to find out that they've repeated it to someone else? Boy, that hurts, doesn't it? Don't, don't you feel a little betrayed when that happens? The ability to keep confidences. Number two, loyalty. Loyalty. I like it when uh, someone says something bad about me and my friend will jump up and say, that's not true, before they even hear the details. Now, uh, they, go to, they go to battle and then they learn the facts. That loyalty, don't you like loyalty and a friend, a friend that is there for you? And even when you mess up, they're by your side and they care for you all the same. Uh, the third uh, thing that these Americans said in, uh, was warmth and affection, warmth and and affection. And that's just showing attention to the details of a friendship. Uh, these were the most important attributes of a real friend by 40,000 different Americans in this small survey. Now, while we all need friendships to get us through life, some friendships end up hurting us. Some friendships end up leading us astray. And I want us this morning to look at three principles that I see in Proverbs 17 between verse 9 and verse 18. Three principles that will help guard or guide our Christian friendship. So let's jump in this morning and look at the first principle. Notice the principle of character. The principle of character. Look at verse number 9 of Proverbs chapter 17 and let's look at the character of the friend. Look here. The very beginning of verse 9. He that covereth a transgression, seeketh love. That means you deal with it privately, you deal with it secretly, you deal with it with only uh, uh, as minimal as possible, you don't make a public scene out of it, you don't make a mountain out of a molehill. Where there is a problem, it's covered, that transgression is dealt with, there's a level of character involved there. Look at the rest of the verse, but in contrast, he that repeateth a matter, he that repeateth a matter, separateth very So we see two different types of friends here. Someone who covers a transgression and someone who uncovers, repeats a transgression. Verse 10, a reproof entereth more into a wise man. Notice the character, a wise man that in hundred stripes into a fool. So we have one that covers uh, compared to one who uncovers. We have a wise man here compared to... To a fool. Verse 11 gives us another name for the fool, an evil man. An evil man seeketh only rebellion. Therefore, a cruel messenger shall be sent against him. Verse 12, let a bear robbed of her whelps or her cubs meet a man rather than a fool, a fool in his folly. So here in these verses, we see two very different types of friends. We see the wise man and the evil man. The wise man and the 
foolish man. Let me give you here an A and a B. Notice letter A, the word attraction. Attraction. Now, if you came in this morning, you may be visiting, not know this, on the back of the bulletin in which you received is the outline, and you can take notes on the back of that and um, follow along there with us and sort of know where the sermon's going. Notice the word attraction. Look back, look back at Proverbs 17 and look at verse number 10. Verse number 10. A reproof entereth more into a wise man than an hundred stripes into a fool. This is a great verse because it tells us how to know whether you are wise or foolish. Uh, how well do you handle correction? Someone comes to you and says, hey man, what you're doing is wrong. Is your first, uh, your first response to throw up defense and say, who are you to tell me what to do? The Bible says here that a wise man can, knows how to handle reproof. Knows how to handle it when someone gets in his face and says, what you're doing is not right. And you look in the mirror and you say, you know what, what I'm doing isn't right. I need to make changes. A fool, you could beat them and nothing's going to change. You could rebuke and rebuke and rebuke and they dig in their heels and they're not going to change a thing. Attraction, attraction. If you take a good, long, hard look at your closest friends, what you will find is that you are drawn to those with whom you have the deepest, most heartfelt Connection. C.S. Lewis said it this way. Friendship is born at the moment when one person says to another, What? You too? I thought I was the only one. Attraction. Attraction. Bitter people are attracted to bitter people. Angry people are attracted to angry people. Addicts are attracted to addicts. Drunks are attracted to drunks. Entrepreneurs are attracted to other entrepreneurs. Athletes are drawn to athletes. Christians are drawn to other Christians. Joyous people are attracted to joyous people. You get the idea, right? You're going to be drawn to the people who you have deep commonalities with. I've talked about going on to a, my college campus my freshman year. I'm 18 years old. There's a thousand people in my freshman class. We're showing up to this college in the Midwest. There's people coming from all corners of the country, folks from Alaska and Hawaii included, all Oregon, Florida, and these people all show up on campus. None of us know each other. And within about three hours, people who were rebellious in heart had found other people who were rebellious in heart. People who were sincere about serving God with their life, had found other people who were sincere with serving God in their life. It was like you dropped a bunch of people on a, a campus, and within a few hours, like magnets, they all did this to each other. Subliminally, we found each other. It, it, it was amazing. And you can not only do that with college kids, you can do that with anyone. You look at who you're with, and probably they share a similar character level to you. They share a similar life journey to you. Attraction. Attraction. Now, um, take your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 13. If you are a person of low character, you are going to draw to yourself friends of low character. We saw in Proverbs 17, the wise man and the fool. Wise people and foolish people don't strike up a friendship and hang out together. Wise people hang out with wise people or folks aspiring to be wise. Foolish people hang out with foolish people or those who are aspiring to be foolish. And so we find in 2 Samuel 13 a fool being drawn to another fool. Look at verse 1. And it came to pass after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister whose name was Tamar. So Tamar is a beautiful woman. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. So Amnon and Tamar are half-brother and half-sister. They have the same father, but they have a different mother. And Amnon is just madly in love with his sister, half-sister Tamar. Verse 2, And Amnon was so vexed, he's so stricken, he's so head over hills, the Bible says that he fell sick for his sister Tamar. You ever been so in love that um, you just can't get the other person off your mind? That's how, Amnon, uh, that's how Amnon was toward Tamar. He was love sick for Tamar. Look here, it says, For she was a virgin, and Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. Now, please understand, his attraction to Tamar was not spiritual. His attraction to Tamar was not healthy. He found her to be 
excuse the crass word, he found her to be hot and he wanted to be with her. But this young lady was pure. She was a virgin. And he thought, I can't. I just can't find myself to get in bed with her. Look at verse 3. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother. So Jonadab is Amnon's cousin, but the Bible says he was his friend. And Jonadab was a very subtle man. You know what it sounds like Jonadab was? It sounds like he was Satan. Satan was subtle, wasn't he? Didn't he slither up to Eve and talk her into eating the fruit? Jonadab was subtle. Why was it that Amnon and Jonadab were drawn to each other? Because they had the same character. Jonadab, you can read on down later, Jonadab helps Amnon come up with a plan so that Amnon can rape his sister. You show me who your friends are, I will show you who you really are on the inside. Now, you may come to church and mask it and hide it, but if you're hanging out with people that are godless and foolish, and you find a kinship with them, just remember the principle of character. Remember the idea of attraction. Let me just say to the teenagers in the room today, you be careful who you make your friends. You be careful. You show me who your friends are, I'll show you what's really going on on the inside of your heart. The principle of attraction. The principle of, rather, character, the idea of attraction. James chapter 2, verse 23. Turn over there with me. If you are a person with high character, then you will find your friendships with those who aspire to have or have high character. Amnon and Jonadab found each other. Why? Because they were both low character, foolish men. Look at James chapter 2, verse 23. The Bible says, And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him, or laid on his account for righteousness. Look here. And he was called the friend of God. Wow. There is no one with higher character than God. I mean, he's, when it comes to character, he's at the very, very, very top. He's perfect. The Bible says that Abraham was the friend of God. Now, was Abraham perfect? No. No. We find instances in Genesis where Abraham made some pretty big mistakes. But you know why Abraham was called the friend of God? Because Abraham aspired to be like God. Abraham had a heart of high character. In fact, God looked out throughout the whole earth and he said, I need to pick a man who I'm going to turn into a nation so I can send my son to the earth to redeem man. He looked throughout the whole earth and he said, Abraham, Abram, I'm going to make him the one. He is going to be my friend. He's going to be my buddy. I'm going to walk with him. I'm going to talk with him. I'm going to spend time with him. Why was Abraham drawn to God? Because Abraham was a man of high character. You show me who your friends are, I will show you what your character is. If you desire to be friends with people who want to walk with God and go places in life, you want to uh, walk with people who love the Lord and have a desire to be all that God wants them to be, I will show you who you really are on the inside. Some of you need to take a good, long, hard look at who your friends are and ask, what is my character? Sometimes we have a hard time of self-evaluating. We have a hard time of looking at ourselves and understanding who we are. We're so close to ourselves, we can't see it. Here's a good way to tell what your character is. Look at the friends in your life. What is the median character of all the friends in your life? That's probably right where you are. The principle of character, notice letter B, direction. We saw attraction, notice direction. Go back with me to Proverbs chapter 17 and look at verse number 11. Proverbs 17, verse 11. The Bible says, An evil man seeketh only rebellion. Rebellion. Therefore a cruel messenger shall be sent against him. Look at verse 12. Let a bear robbed of her whelps, of her cubs, meet a man rather than a fool in his folly. How many people are sitting in prison right now? Because they were with the wrong crowd when a crime was committed. They got swept up in it. And now they're suffering the consequences. 
You see, when we choose the wrong friends, our lives are sure to head in the wrong direction. You show me who your friends are, and I will show you who you are becoming. Nobody makes it in life into God's will. If you're in here this morning and you're a young person, I especially want you to listen up. Look at the adults in your life that you know. If you could go through all of the adults in your life that you know, you listening? And say, one day I want to have a life like him or her. Who would you pick? Who would you pick? Now take a moment and think about that. I want to have a life like that person. Now ask yourself this question. Am I hanging out with people that are heading in that direction? Because if you're not, then you're not ever going to make it there. You're not going to make it there. Surround yourself with people that are heading in a direction in life that you want to go. Because if you don't, you're going to end up where you don't want to go. Take your Bibles over to Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. Proverbs 17 tells us that a fool is better off meeting an angry bear who's lost her cubs than having to run into his own folly. A scorner thinks that somehow they'll be able to skirt around the consequences and not suffer it. Truth is, no matter who you are, if you run from God and you live a life of sin and foolishness, folly is going to end up coming back to get you, whether you realize it or not. Look at Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. You want to be wise? Walk with wise men. Look here. But a companion of fools, a friend of fools, shall be destroyed. You want to become wise? Become friends with wise men and wise women. You want to become? You want to get destroyed? Become friends with those who are fools. Turn over to Psalm chapter 1 and verse number 1. Psalm chapter 1 and verse number 1. Many, many people will hear a sermon on friends and they just kind of shrug their shoulders and say, well, that's great, that's wonderful and all. Uh, I'm not really worried about it. I'm telling you this idea of uh, principle of character, picking friends that have the character that you desire to have, that you aspire to have, is a big, big, big deal. Psalm chapter 1, and look at verse number 1. The Bible says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Now, what is verse 1 saying? If you want to be blessed, don't get your advice, don't walk around with, don't keep company with people who are foolish. Stay away from them. If you want to be blessed, stay away from foolish counsel. Stay away from foolish people. Verse 2, but rather, in contrast to his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Man, sign me up for the end of verse 3. I want to be that guy that whatever I do prospers. Whatever I do is successful. I want to be that guy who's put my roots of life down by the river of water of God's Word. My tree has sprouted up uh, and I have fruit that will last for generations. I want to be the guy in verse 2 and 3. I sure don't want to be the guy in verse 1 that walks in the counsel of the ungodly, that stands in the way of sinners, that sits in the seat of the scornful. My friend, today we need to consider the principle of character. Remember, you are attracted to the people that you're like and you're going to end up going in the direction of the crowd that you keep. Number one, the principle of character. Go back to Proverbs 17 and notice the principle of contention. The principle of contention. Proverbs 17 and we're going to read from verse 13 down through verse number 17. The Bible says, look, look here for the idea of contention. Whoso rewardeth evil for good... Evil shall not depart from his house. The beginning of strife, strife is as one as is as when one letteth out water. Therefore, leave off 
contention, contention, before it be meddled with. He that justifieth the wicked, and he that condemneth the just, even they both are abomination to the Lord. Wherefore, is there a price in the hand of a fool to get wisdom, seeing that he hath no heart to it? A friend loveth at all times. Look here, and a brother is born for adversity. Let me give you a letter A and a letter B here. Notice letter A, reasons, reasons. And we're looking at reasons for contention. Turn with me, if you will, over to chapter 22 and verse number 24. Chapter number 22 and verse number 24. The Bible tells us that where sin is, there is strife. The Bible tells us that where there is uh, one that meddleth, it's like contention. And uh, we need to understand where contention in friendships come. Look here. Make no friendship with an angry man. And with a furious man thou shalt not go. Now, what do you think of when you think of an angry man? I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell on myself this morning. I lost my temper this morning. I was uh, washing a bowl in my sink. I woke up grouchy. How many of you ever wake up grouchy? The rest of you are lying, amen? I was watching a glass bowl in my sink this morning. And uh, it got full of water. I was using the hose to spray some things out, and I dropped it, and it shattered into a million pieces. And uh, my blood pressure went from here to about here, okay? But I was still in control. And I got, went under the sink. I got a bag, and I very carefully started putting, picking up pieces of glass and putting it in there. A bunch of it landed on a plate, so I picked up the plate, and I tried to get the water off the plate and pour the glass into the bag and ended up putting a bunch of water in the bag, and now water's dripping on the floor, Amen? Blood pressure went from here to about here. And um, I, I got all the glass I could, and there were other dishes in the sink. And so I got the dishes out of the sink. They were there from breakfast, and I put them up on the counter. And uh, then I needed to put some more dishes up on the sink, on, on the counter. And so I pushed the dishes that were on the counter over a little bit. And when I did that, another glass bowl fell on the floor <laughs> and shattered into a million pieces. And my blood pressure went from here to, and I went, Dah! How many ever seen the movie Inside Out where the lever gets pushed for anger and the guy just flies off the handle? That was me this morning, okay? Um, my wife and kids went running around like a bunch of chickens with their heads cut off. And um, it wasn't good, all right? The ride to church this morning was me like this. It was deathly quiet in the car, all right? I can laugh about it now. I wish I would have laughed about it this morning. Amen? What's the Bible say when it says, make no friendship with an angry man? Is it talking about someone who occasionally loses their temper? I sure hope not, or none of you are allowed to be my friends. (laughs) You know what it's talking about? It's talking about someone who is a root of rebellion in their heart. You see, anger doesn't always come out in the form of flying off the handle while that does happen, while that is one sign. When someone is an angry man, they're angry at the system. They're angry at God. They're angry at authority. They're living a life of rebellion. The Bible says don't make friendship with that guy, that girl. Steer clear. Or otherwise, they're going to rub off on you and you're going to become that. Where does contention come from? Contention lives in the heart of an angry man. It's like a volcano. On the outside, you might see trees, and you might see that which is beautiful, but underneath the surface of a volcano, there is lava that's constantly boiling. And at any moment, that thing could go off and explode. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 13 and verse number 10. Proverbs 13, verse 10. The Bible says, There only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Only by pride cometh contention. Why do friendships struggle? Because of pride. Why do friendships fall apart? Because of pride. Why do people walk away from friendships when things get tough? 
pride and selfishness. Sometimes contention is a, in a friendship is unnecessary. In fact, usually contention in a friendship is unnecessary and comes about as a result of sinful selfishness. But sometimes contention in a friendship is totally necessary to maintain a biblical friendship. Let me show you what I mean. Take your Bibles over to Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse number 9. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 9. We'll read down through verse number 12. Now, contention comes in a friendship and contention is going to come to any friendship. My wife is my very best friend and I have more contention with her than anyone else. Now, the contention is not sharp or severe. We're able to get past our problems pretty well. We love each other. But because I'm her best friend, this is where the most contention is. I have other friendships. Many of you in here uh, I would call uh, my friend. In fact, most of you in here I would call my friend. I've got friends all over the uh, country. Can I tell you that in almost every friendship, serious friendship I've had, there's been a point of contention. Can I tell you why? Because I'm a sinner and you're a sinner. And sin brings about offenses. Let me just say this to the, the, those of you in here that might be a little more naive and gullible, all right? If you expect your friend to never make a mistake... If you expect your friendships to never have any problems, you are sadly mistaken. People are going to disappoint you and people are going to let you down. People are going to behave in a way that hurts you. Now sometimes those hurts are so deep that you need to cut off the friendship. But most of the time you need to forbear and show grace. Principle of contention. Do you know that there is a point in time where contention is necessary. Necessary. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 9. The Bible says two are better than one. This is speaking about friendship. Because they have a good reward for their labor. You put an ox in a field and put a yoke on that single ox and uh, there's so much weight he can pull. You put two ox in a yoke and they can pull well more than twice of what the one could pull on its own. Why? Because two are better than one. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Now the application in verse 12 is two friends with God is a threefold cord, and that's far better. But even three friends... Being together is great. Now, here's the truth. Pastor Andrew, come up here and help me if you don't mind. Pastor Andrew, he's been here for about three months. Isn't he doing a great job? Got a great singing voice, doesn't he? Beyond just working together, he and I are becoming fast friends. We both like to play golf. He's way better than me. Um, We like to play basketball. I think I'm better than him, but I haven't played him yet. All right? Um, He's better looking than me. Amen, Miss Callie? All right? Um, we're becoming good friends, all right? And so he and I, uh, we walk, we're walking along together as we serve the Lord. You know, there's going to come a point in our friendship where maybe I'm not who I ought to be as a friend. Maybe I'm not who I ought to be as a person. And maybe he sees a flaw in me. Or I see a flaw in him. You know, if I'm truly his friend and he's truly my friend, then there is a spirit of graciousness but there's a spirit of confrontation. Where I'm willing to go to him or let him come to me and say, I see this in you or he sees something in me that isn't right. That's called keeping each other accountable. This is confrontation that could lead to contention that's necessary. You with me this morning? Are you willing to let a friend come to you and say, hey, this in your life isn't right? Are you willing to let that person do that without it injuring your friendship? You see, if I fall into a hole, a sin hole, a moral hole, and I don't have any real friends, then I'm stuck in that hole for the long haul. But a real friend is willing to say, what you did is wrong, here's a hand, let me help you out. You see that? You see how contention in a relationship sometimes can become necessary? I may not like it if he comes to me and tells me something I did wrong. It might hurt my feelings, but I need to acknowledge that he's right if he's right. 
And I need to be willing to let them help me out. Thank you, Pastor Andrew. Principle of contention. If you're going to have friends, and you're going to have real friendships, and you're going to walk along life's path together, then sometimes confrontation is necessary. Turn to Proverbs 27 and verse number 5. Proverbs chapter 27. And let's look at those two verses, 5 and 6. Look here. Open rebuke is better than secret love. Verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. You know what that means? That means if I see a character flaw in my friend's life and I look the other way and don't say anything, and I let them walk right into, the, right into the pain of the foolish decisions they're making without me speaking up and saying something, that's deceitful. That's wrong. If I really love someone and I have a deep relationship with that person, and I see them doing things that are wrong, I ought to be willing to wound them if necessary. I ought to be willing to speak up and say, hey man, I, I see this in you and it's not right. When I was a teenager, we had a preacher come to our Christian school. He preached out of Proverbs 27, 5 and 6. And he told the class, he said, you need, he told the school, uh, high school, he said, we need to have an attitude at this school, Bethel Baptist School, we need to have an attitude of, I tell on my friends. Now, that's the idea of being a weasel or a rat, isn't it? Now, I don't think you need to go tell on your friends or every little thing that's dumb. But boy, if I had a friend who was heading a direction in his life that was going to lead to great pain and hurt, and I go to him and confront him on it, and he blows me off, boy, I ought to be willing to go to some adult who can get involved and help him. Letter A, we see reasons for contention. Letter B, notice responses. Responses to contention. Now, let me give you three thoughts below responses. I'm just going to rattle these off quick. Uh, and they're not on your bulletin, but I think they will be up on the screen if I remember right. Write these down. Know when to dissolve. Know when to dissolve. Some friendships need to be cut. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? You're here today and you want to become a wise man or a wise woman and you're keeping company with fools? I don't care if you're 17 or 77. Listen, my grandfather lived in an assisted living home toward the end of his life. There were some people in there he didn't need to be friends with. And they were all elderly. Okay? So it doesn't matter what stage of life you're in, this can't apply to you. You have people in your life that don't believe in God. You have people in your life that might loosely claim to be a believer, but they don't go to church and they don't read their Bible and they don't pray and they're not trying to live a Christian life and they're not trying to live by Christian morals. Hey, the Bible says you are not to be unequally yoked. Light is not to have fellowship with darkness. The sons of God are not to be friends with the sons of Belial or the sons of the world or the sons of the devil. We need to divide. We need to separate. Now, you can be friendly, but you don't don't need to be friends. Hey, there's one word I want you to write down in capital letters somewhere uh, on your uh, outline or your notes there that will stand out that you can remember. And it's the word influence. Influence. Friendship equals influence. Your friends influence you whether you realize it or not. I have a lot of friends in my life. I have a very close circle of friends. and They're all pastors, and I speak with them from time to time. You know what those pastors do? They greatly influence me. You show me who your friends are, I'll show you who's influencing you. And there are relationships that you have. I'll use a word that's gotten quite popular lately. The word is toxic. There are some relationships you have that are toxic to your Christian growth. And if you're going to become who you ought to be, you're going to become who God wants you to be, you need to be willing to take a, a, a big axe and chop off that relationship. 
Some relationships, some friendships need to go. Be not unequally yoked together. Know when to dissolve. Know when to dissolve. Notice next, know when to dispute. Know when to dispute. Look back with me at Proverbs 27, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Now, there are times and there are places and there are ways in which you go and you dispute, you confront, you deal with character flaws, wrongdoings, shortcomings in a friend's life. Let me just say here, there's a right way and a wrong way to do this. I'm not going to turn over there and read it this morning, but I would encourage you to read Galatians 6, 1 through 4. The Bible talks about restoring a brother in the spirit of meekness. The truth is, to go back to the illustration with me and Pastor Andrew, if I saw something in Pastor Andrew's life that was wrong, I'm not going to hastily, in the emotion of the moment, run to him and talk to him about it. You know what I'm going to do if, if that happened? I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to examine my own heart to see if I'm struggling with that or anything close to that in my own life. I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to pray that God gives me a spirit of meekness. And then I'm going to very, very carefully and lovingly go to him in private. And I'm going to help him with that. You see, that's how we dispute. We don't hot-blooded, angrily run to someone and say, well, you're doing this in your life and it's wrong. Years ago, we had a woman in this church who uh, would go up to uh, people when she saw sin in their life and she would just say, hey, I see this in your life and it's not right. And God's punishing you because of that. Pastor's worst nightmare. That's not what I mean by dispute. That's not what I mean. I mean there is a loving, caring, thoughtful, planned way which you go when you see wrongdoing in someone's life and you confront, you talk to them about it, you dispute with them about it, know how to dispute, uh, number, or know when to dispute. Next, notice, know how to discern. Go back to Proverbs 17 and verse number 9. Proverbs 17 and verse 9. The Bible says, He that covereth a transgression seeketh love. He that covereth the transgression seeketh love. Proverbs 10:12 says, Hatred stirreth up strifes, but love covereth all sins. Now, what that doesn't mean is that you just sweep sin under the carpet. What that doesn't mean is that you cover up for someone's wrongdoing. But what that does mean is that you deal with it as privately as possible. As a boy, I attended a church once where the pastor loved church discipline. I mean, he loved it. Someone did anything wrong, man, they had to get up in front of the whole church and apologize. Can you imagine me making you get up here and apologize to the church every time you did something, you know, that was, that you, you get up and maybe you teach something in class, you're a Sunday school teacher here, and you, you teach something in class that isn't quite doctrinally accurate, and I find out about it, and I bring you up in front of the whole church and say, all right, now apologize for, for that. We wouldn't run 150, we'd run 15, right? People wouldn't want to be here anymore. There's a place for church discipline. There's a place for that. I'm not diminishing it. It's in the Bible. Matthew 18 talks about church discipline. But we need to learn how to discern. Do you know that there are sometimes God is in the background working on someone's heart? And the best thing you can do for your friend is forbear and say nothing to them at all. I know I wouldn't want a friend in my face every other week saying, I see this, and I see this, and I see this, and I see this. You get what I'm saying here? There's a balance that has to be struck. And um, one thing you learn through life is that you can't change anyone's heart. But God can change. The truth is, if I see something in the heart of one of my friends the best thing I can do to help them change is to get on my knees and pray for them. It's not to get in their grill and confront them. Now again, there's a time to get in someone's grill. But well before you do that, you better be on your knees praying for them. By the way, here's a good barometer of whether or not to hold on to a friend. Go back to that dissolve thought for a minute. I don't necessarily look at where someone is 
I'll look at the direction they're heading. Let's say Brother Mike here. Let's say that, um, you know, he's new to our church. Brother Mike Scarpetti here. Let's just, for example, say he was new to our church. Let's say that he's out drinking with his buddies on Friday. All right? Let's say that uh, he's, he's got all kinds of uh, language issues and he comes in looking real ragtag and rough. And he comes in and he gets saved and he gets baptized. And man, he's growing in the Lord. And little by little, some of these sinful habits are beginning to fall off. I'm not going to look at him and say, Well, you know, I think I heard a curse word last week. Can't be your friend. You know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say, man, you're going in the right direction. Come on, let's be friends. I've met a lot of people, man, they're as church as church can be. They know how to hold their Bible. That you call them to pray in church, they're professional prayers. When I was a little nine-year-old boy, we had a, a, a deacon in our church named Brother Green. And Brother Green would do the offering the way our men do. And sometimes he'd get called on to pray. And my brother and I would sit back there and we'd count how many times he used the word Father in his prayer. And uh, we'd look at each other and we'd say, 17. And he'd say, I've got 18. Uh, talking about people who are pharisaical in their approach. Hey, you know, don't look down your nose at someone. You were once that way too. Some people go to church, and man, they're as churched as church could be. They know how to talk. They know how to walk. They know how to dress. They know how to carry their Bible. They know when to say amen in church. Uh, they know when to raise their hand in the singing. Man, they got it all down. But uh, inwardly, they're backsliding, and they're going the wrong direction. I would rather be a friend with a guy who cussed last week and is trying to get his mouth cleaned up than be friends with a guy who's been in church for 30 years but is backsliding away from the Lord. Look, don't look at where someone is is, look at the direction they're going and come alongside and help them out. Responses. Sometimes we dissolve. Sometimes we dispute, but we always discern. Number one, we saw the principle of character. The principle, number two, of contention. Three, and lastly, notice, the principle of commitment. The principle of commitment. Look at Proverbs chapter 17 and verse number 17 again this morning. Look there with me and let's read the first half of that verse. I'll give everyone a chance to get over there. Please, please, please go back to Proverbs 17 and look with me at verse 17. And as a church together, let's read the beginning of the verse. Everybody there? I still hear pages turning. All right, ready? Here we go. A friend loveth at all times. Some of you enjoy the second half of the verse more than the first half of the verse, don't you? A friend loveth at all times. Look at verse 18. A man void of understanding striketh hands and becomes surety in the presence of his friend. We'll talk more about verse 18 in just a moment. Notice letter A, effort reciprocated. Effort reciprocated. Go back over to Proverbs. Go one chapter over. Proverbs 18 and look at verse number 24. Now, if you don't have a King James Version of the Bible, this verse is going to say the opposite of what I'm reading. And let me encourage you, while you come to White Oak, uh, to get a King James. That way you can be alongside of us. Proverbs 18.24 says this, A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Go over to Proverbs 27.17. 27, Proverbs 27.17. The Bible says, iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. I think we all know what it's like, but have you ever put yourself out there to be someone's friend and just felt like they were ignoring you? You ever done something nice for someone only to have them just take, take it for granted and not even say thank you? Hey, everyone, I, I emphasized this last week. Let me come back around and, and hit it again. When someone does something nice for you, take 30 seconds and say thank you. Amen? Have an attitude of gratitude. Don't just assume that everyone's going to treat you a certain way. Don't be entitled. Amen? Be thankful. Be grateful. I've got room for improvement here. We probably all do on some level. Just be thankful. You ever put yourself out there for someone and tried to be their friend only to have them kind of act cold-hearted toward you? 
It hurts, doesn't it? Some of you are in here and you say, well, I just don't have very many friends. You know what I tell my kids? You want to have friends, be a friend. Right? Reciprocate. Someone makes the effort to do something kind for you, do something kind back. Show them that you love them. Someone once said, friends are like good health. You don't realize what a gift they are until you lose them. The Bible, or rather another quote, uh, I think this was a Benjamin Franklin quote. It's not from the Bible, amen? Benjamin Franklin said, prosperity begets friends, adversity proves them. Now the Bible does talk about how that the poor have very few friends. The rich has lots of friends. Can we figure out why rich people have lots of friends? <laughs> Boy, I don't like your personality, but I like your wallet, Amen. Can we be best buddies? Around the corner I have a friend in this great city that has no end. Yet days go by and weeks rush on. And before I know, a year is gone. And I never see my old friend's face, for life is a swift and terrible race. He knows I like him just as well as in the days when I rang his bell. And he rang mine. We were younger then. And now we are busy, tired men. Tired with playing a foolish game, tired with trying to make a name. Tomorrow, I say, I will call on Jim, just to show that I'm thinking of him. But tomorrow comes and tomorrow goes, and the distance between us grows and grows. Around the corner, yet miles away, there's a phone call, sir. Jim died today. That's when we get, that's what we get and deserve in the end. Around the corner, a vanquished friend. Some of you have some friends you've lost touch with that you need to value and get hold of. Love on. Reciprocate that effort. Everyone don't text Jim Owens after church this morning. Amen? (laughs) Letter A, effort reciprocated. Letter B, grace required. Grace required. Go back to Proverbs 17. Look at me at verse number 9. The Bible says, He that covereth a transgression seeketh love. Look down at verse 18. A man void of understanding, void of understanding, striketh hands. That means like handshaking, shaking hands on a business deal, okay? And becometh surety or cosigns in the presence of his friend. Now, turn over to Proverbs chapter 6 with me. And we're going to see um, some instructions from Solomon to Rehoboam here on this idea. But what it's saying here is that only people who lack life experience would shake hands or be or cosign for a friend on a deal. Um, what's the idea here? Going into business with a friend, making a loan, a money loan to a friend, uh, cosigning on a house or a car for a friend. Uh, I don't know how many of you here have ever done that, but imagine the friend quits making their payments, and now the debt collectors are coming after you. Well, that can hurt a friendship, can it? Look at Proverbs chapter 6, verse 1. Here we find similar language, the same idea. My son, if thou be surety for thy friend, if you're a co-signer on a loan for your friend, if thou hast stricken or shaken thy hand with a stranger, thou art snared with the words of thy mouth. You're bound by that contract, thou, hast, uh, thou art taken with the words of thy mouth. Do this now, my son, and deliver thyself. When thou art come into the hand of thy friend, go humble thyself and make sure thy friend. You know, I've seen bad business dealings and money ruin more friendships than I want to count. Two people go in business together and they end up having a big falling out and they lose their friendship. Somebody loans a friend some money and the friend never pays them back and that friendship is canceled. Let's not let money get between us and our friends. Verse 3 here says that if you have a business dealing go bad with a friend, humble yourself and go to that person and firm up that friendship. Don't let that money get between you and that friend. You fix that thing. Now, you'd be wiser for the wear the next time, 
And by the way, can I just give a simple piece of advice here? Never loan money to anybody. It's a bad idea. I've had lots of people in my life come to me and ask me for money. And you know what generally I tell them? I don't have any money to give you. Amen? But when I have had money to give people and they ask me for money, you know what I say to them? I I won't loan it to you, but I will give it to you. And sometimes they may give it back to me, and praise God if they do, but I'm not expecting it. And you know what? If you're not expecting it, then you can't get upset with someone for not paying you back. Now, that's not in the Bible, but can I just tell you, the principle of not letting money ruin a friendship is in the Bible. You follow careful steps. The love of money is the root of all evil. What's the overlying, the, the overarching principle here? Is that we show grace in our friendships. We give people room to grow and room to develop. And when someone doesn't handle us just the way we want, when someone doesn't respond the way we want, that we should give them grace. You know what? It's a healthy day in any relationship when you learn to make excuses for someone else's character flaws and shortcomings. Now, I don't mean uh, uh, character flaws in the sense of, hey, you know, they're off living in sin, I'm going to keep being their friend. But you know what? You send somebody a text and they don't reply back right away, don't cut a friendship off. Someone's got a, 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 you know, a personality quirk that drives you crazy, they've got a tick that bothers you. Uh, listen, learn to show them some grace. Someone's been a really good friend of you over the years and maybe they're in a slump, they're in a depression, they're having a struggle. The last thing they need you to do is forget about them. They need you to be by their side to help them. Show them that grace. Let her see and lastly notice um, uh, relationship reconciled. Relationship reconciled. Let's finish the sermon in the New Testament this morning. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 23. The Bible says, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, a brother, thy friend. By the way, the words brother and friend are used almost interchangeably in the Old and New Testament. Verse 24, Leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First, first be reconciled, to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. You have aught between you and a sibling in Christ, aught between you and a friend. Don't put your money in the offering plate. Don't come and offer up your services to the Lord. Go fix that problem between you and your friend first. Then come back and serve the Lord. Then come back and give that gift to the Lord. Reconcile that relationship. Turn over to Romans chapter 5 and verse number 10. Two more passages this morning. We're almost done. Romans chapter 5 and verse 10. You know who is the greatest reconciler in the universe? It's the God of the universe. Now, God did no wrong. We wronged Him. But He found a way to reconcile with us anyway. Look at verse 10 of Romans 5. The Bible says, For if when... We were enemies. That's the opposite, the antithesis of friend. When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. You have God over here and you have humanity over here. God and Adam are walking together in perfect unity. Fellowship is enjoyed. And then Adam bites into that fruit and betrays that friendship. Adam turns his back on God, and God turns his back on Adam. But God loves Adam still, and so he devises a plan to send Jesus to come to the earth. Jesus, God, comes to earth in the form of a man, and Jesus dies on the cross so that God and man can be reconciled with each other. Now watch this. It was God who did no wrong and was the offended who made the effort to reconcile the friendship. You see that? It wasn't Adam. It was God. You're here today and you say, my, this friend betrayed my trust and hurt me deeply. You know what? I'll fix things if they really want to fix it, but they're going to have to make the effort. Aren't you glad God didn't follow that model with us? 
It was God who sent Jesus to reconcile the relationship. God has called you to a life of reconciliation. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verse 17. The moment that you put your faith and trust in Jesus to save you, He called you to a new life. A life of reconciliation. The Bible says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things, that bitterness, that anger, that eye for eye, tooth for tooth, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, and all things are of God. Look here, who hath reconciled us to himself. Again, God putting forth the effort by Jesus Christ and hath given to us, look here, he's handed to us as new creatures the ministry of reconciliation. 19, to wit what God was in Christ reconciled the world to himself, not imputing or holding a grudge with their trespasses unto them and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now that, uh, now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead. Be ye reconciled to God for he, God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God looked at humanity and said they're broken. They've been broken by sin. Our relationship is broken. But I'm going to heal that relationship. I'm going to turn humanity from being my enemy. Those that choose to be reconciled, that humble their heart and choose to be reconciled, I'm going to heal that broken relationship and make them friends again. If you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you, can I just tell you this? Jesus wants to be your friend. God in heaven wants to be your friend. But you must humble your heart and turn from your unbelief and put your belief in Jesus Christ to save you. He will heal your heart. He will make you whole. He will give you the gift of eternal life. It's available to you. I want you to imagine two friends that are at odds. The offended party is making every effort to repair the relationship with the party that did the offending. What would you advise that offended, or the, rather the offending party to do? You would tell them, humble yourself and go to this person who you've hurt and fix it. They're ready to do so. I'm here today to be that friend and tell you to do that. Go to Jesus and say to Him, I want the gift of eternal life. I want to be reconciled with God. I want peace with God. If you're here today and you have a friend and that relationship has been greatly hurt, will you ask God if it would be His will for you to reconcile that friendship? You say, I didn't do anything wrong. Reconcile anyway. Do your part help that be made whole. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed this morning.